Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 14. I will read verses 21 through 28. They also told the good news in the city of Derby, and many people became followers of Jesus. Then Paul and Barnabas returned to the cities of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In those cities, they helped the followers grow stronger in their faith and encouraged them to continue trusting God. They told them, we must suffer many things on our way into God's kingdom. They also chose elders for each church and stopped eating for a period of time to pray for them. These elders were men who had put their trust in the Lord Jesus, so Paul and Barnabas put them in his care. Paul and Barnabas went through the country of Pisidia. Then they came to the country of Pamphylia. They told the people the message of God in the city of Perga. And then they went down to the city of Italia. And from there, they sailed away to Antioch in Syria. This is the city where the believers had put them into God's care and sent them to do this work. Now they had finished it. When Paul and Barnabas arrived, they gathered the church together. They told them everything that God had used them to do. They said, God opened a door for non-Jewish people to believe. And they stayed there a long time with the Lord's followers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be present with us uh, in the in the preaching of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit... I would be here amongst us uh, this morning. We pray that we would uh, be instructed and encouraged as your church. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in our uh, reading this morning, there are two nuggets or two synopses of longer speeches or longer sermons. Two little nuggets. One is in verse 22. I would ask that you have uh, that text open for you. Uh, And the other is in verse 27. In verse 22 we read, they told them we must suffer many things on our way into God's kingdom. And then in verse 27 we have the second nugget, God opened the door for non-Jewish people to believe. These are in a sense headlines or abstracts or thumbnail sketches of what were longer discussions, what were longer sermons. And we're going to take a look at them uh, in the in the course of this sermon this morning. But what I want to do first is just to situate uh, today's passage in uh, the larger flow of what's been going on here in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. You'll recall that we are in the first missionary uh, journey. This is about 10 years after the resurrection uh, of Jesus. Uh, The church at Antioch, which was close to where the Apostle Paul actually lived, the church at Antioch has ordained and sent out Saul and Barnabas. They also send out John Mark to go with them. And these three men are supported by the church. They're financed by the church. This is the very first missionary journey uh, in the history of, of the church of Jesus Christ. Before this time, the church had spread, but it had spread simply because people had moved from place to place. And now the church has matured and come to the point where they've made it clear that, you know what, we need to actually be leaving our flock 
and going outside of our church to round up other people and to invite them into the church of Jesus Christ. And so the church of Antioch has sent uh, Saul and Barnabas and John Mark out on a journey. It lasts probably about a year. The journey begins in Cyprus. They take a boat uh, from uh, from uh, the coast of Asia. They sail over to Cyprus, which is an island, uh, a large island there in the Mediterranean. Uh, first, these men go to the synagogues and they first preach to the Jews and to the uh, the people who have converted from pagan religions to Judaism. And then at some point, they also begin to preach to pagans, to people who don't know anything about Yahweh. This pattern that's established there at the beginning will continue throughout all of the missionary journeys of Paul. We always begin the preaching with those who are part of the covenant community. God has a pre-existing relationship with some people. In this case, it's the descendants of Abraham. And so... The message goes first to the descendants of Abraham. In our time, the covenant community is the church. It's those people who are members of the church and their children. And so we preach the gospel first to the church, but then we also preach it to people outside of the church. After Cyprus, the men sail back to the mainland. And at this point, Saul starts to be called Paul. He becomes Paul and he gets top billing. No longer is it Barnabas and Saul, it's now Paul and Barnabas. And they go to Turkey and to the mainland of Asia. They go to a city called Antioch Pisidia. Now, they have left from a city called Antioch, but this is a different Antioch. There are two Antiochs, one in Syria, one in Pisidia. And they've gone, they now have gone to Antioch Pisidia. And in chapter 13, we get The first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. Most of that chapter is taken up with uh, the preaching of Paul. And what we see in that preaching is that Paul lays out the gospel in terms of the covenant. That God had a covenant uh, first with Abraham. That God was faithful to the covenant down through time. And uh, that God's covenant uh, reached some kind of uh, pinnacle uh, with David. And then he jumps forward to Jesus as the heir to the throne of David. And so Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of the covenant, the pre-existing covenant that God already has with his people. Well, some people believe. And others reject the message. And this is the way the gospel always is. Not everyone will accept the gospel. The gospel divides people. Okay, The gospel, when you hear it, forces you to make a decision. Am I on board or am I not on board? And the gospel divided the community there in Antioch, Pisidia. And these missionaries are driven out of this city. They're run out of town. So they move on to Iconium. And in Iconium, they're also abused. And they hear uh, rumors that there's a plan to have them stoned. And so then they move on to Lystra. And at Lystra, Paul heals a lame man. And this miracle is so astounding that the pagans in the town begin to worship Paul and Barnabas as though they were gods. A very different reception of the message. 
On the one hand, we have people rejecting the message. And then on the other hand, we have people worshiping the message bringer. And both of these uh, responses to the message are incorrect. And Paul and Barnabas are uh, at great pains to uh, convince these, these uh, pagans, no, don't worship us. We're just regular men uh, like you. The message gets through to some. But also, it is uh, in this city that Saul is stoned for the first time. Now, stoning uh, is a kind of, um, it's, it's like lynching, okay? This is an extrajudicial way of killing people. Uh, and the Jews were so incensed by the message of the gospel, they wanted to kill, and they thought they had killed uh, Paul, but somehow, miraculously, he survives this stoning. So then they move on. They go to Derby, which is where our reading begins today. And we read today in verse 21, they also told good news in the city of Derby, and many people became followers of Jesus. Okay, so that's that's where we begin today. What the rest of this chapter uh, pictures for us is a kind of return journey for uh, Paul and Barnabas. They've 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 begun in Antioch in Syria. They've sailed over to Cyprus. They've toured Cyprus. They've gone to Turkey. They've done a number of cities where they've been abused. Every place that they've gone, they've finally landed in Derby. And at Derby, they turn. Around uh, The second part of verse 21 reads, Then Paul and Barnabas returned. So they turn around and they go right back to the cities where they had been abused before. They go back to Lystra where they had been stoned. They go back to Iconium where they had been mistreated. They go back to Antioch, Pisidia where they had been driven out. And this time, the goal of visiting these places is different from the first time. The first time they show up in these places, they show up to to evangelize, to give them the gospel for the first time. But the second time they come through here, their goal is to encourage the believers and to help the followers grow in their faith. Now these are two functions of the work of the church. The church is always in the business of evangelizing. The church is always in the business of explaining the gospel to people who don't know the gospel. The church is always in the business of inviting people into the community. That's one of the functions of the church. But a second function of the church is to strengthen and to encourage those who are already part of the community. So Paul goes back to these places. Paul and Barnabas goes back to these places to encourage and to strengthen them. Look with me uh, there in verse 22. In those cities, they helped the followers grow stronger in their faith and encouraged them to continue trusting God. Now here's the nugget. Here's the synopsis of the sermon. Here's the the headline of the article. Here's the abstract. They told them, we must suffer many things on our way into God's kingdom. Does that sound like an encouraging message to you? We live in a culture that doesn't like bad news. We live in a culture that 
pays honor to people who tell us that, you know, there's actually no problems. That actually things are a lot better than you think they are. That things are going to be great and grand. And what we see here is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas encouraging and strengthening the church by telling them, guess what, folks? You're going to suffer on the way to the kingdom of God. Now, this is a message which has been uh, central to the gospel from the very beginning. Let me read a few passages for you where we hear this same idea that the, the way of the church, the way of the Christian is a way of suffering. Romans eight seventeen, We share in his suffering that we may also share in his glory. 2 Corinthians 1, 5. We share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. So also our comforts abound through Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure suffering, we also will reign with Him. Thank God for the suffering. Because the suffering is always connected with the glory. Those of us who want the glory without the suffering are uh, just in the wrong place. The way of the cross is the way to the kingdom. Now the payoff of this doctrine that suffering is ingrained in and part of the Christian life, this doctrine is perhaps explained most fully in Romans chapter 5. And by the way, you might notice that there are pew Bibles in your pews now. Now here's what I want you to do with that. I don't want you to sneeze on them. Okay? I don't want you to hand them around the room. Okay? Use them. Put them back. And they'll sit there. And they'll de-virusify before the next person uses them. Okay? So if you want to open up to Romans chapter 5, that might be handy to have that for you. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Romans 5, I'm going to read, oh, I don't know, I'll read the first few verses there. We have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are very happy because of the hope that we have of sharing God's glory. Well, that's all very positive. Now, here's the little twist, verse 3. And we are also happy with the troubles we have. Why are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles will make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. You know, we have come through a long and hard year of trouble. I don't know yet what this year means. I've been uh, studying the um, 1918 Spanish flu epidemic and our church's response to that. This is part of my dissertation work. And it's been interesting. Uh, I've been reading all of the Philadelphia newspapers uh, during during that period. 
And in many ways, uh, the response to that epidemic is very similar uh, to the response uh, to this epidemic. The different uh, kind of polarizations of the community, different ideas about how to best deal uh, with the disease. That that epidemic was uh, far more deadly than the, the current one that we are in the midst of. But we have been in a time of trouble. We've been in a time that has tested our patients. The people who have been keeping this church moving forward have been bearing that burden pretty much alone. Okay, you know who you are. You know you that show up faithfully every Sunday to make the programs of this church run. And I know that it's been tiring because you haven't had people alongside of you to help you carry that burden. It's been a very trying time. In a few weeks, we're going to come up onto the first anniversary of the beginning of uh, the epidemic here in this uh this neighborhood. It was the Ides of March when things got shut down here. And so uh, March 14th, I think that's a Sunday, we are actually going to mark this anniversary as part of worship. I believe that this epidemic is part of God's providential plan for God's people. I don't think this is wasted time. I think this has been a time of trial, a time of testing, and a time of winnowing. And God has been at work in the midst of this. And we are going to give thanks for God's faithfulness in the midst of this trial. In a few weeks, in three weeks, I think we'll gather uh, and do that. We are also happy with the troubles we have because the troubles make us patient. Maybe that's one good thing that's come out of this. Do you remember when it first began? I remember the order coming from, from Governor Wolf. Oh, we gotta shut the schools down. You know, we'll do it for two weeks. Well, it just went on and on and on. I mean, if they had said, well, we're gonna shut this place down for a whole year, we couldn't have borne it. But we, we have been able to bear it. And we have borne it well, okay? Little by little, and I think our patience has been strengthened along the way, and the patience has developed our strength and our resilience along the way. And that gives us hope, and that hope will not disappoint. We must suffer many things on our way, the Apostle Paul says to these young baby churches. And he says it to them by way of encouragement, by way of strengthening them. He doesn't give them a a, a false hope. He doesn't tell them, you know, the way ahead is going to be easy. It's going to be filled with nothing but glory. He says it's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. Paul and Barnabas then create the administrative and the pastoral structures in the early church. They appoint elders. You'll notice that in verse 23, it's actually Paul and Barnabas who appoint the elders. This sort of makes them like bishops. Those of you who are, you know, not Episcopalian might wonder about this, but clearly Paul and Barnabas had the authority to appoint elders in those cities. And then Paul and Barnabas return to their home base. 
They go back to where they started. They go back to Antioch in Syria and they gather the church together to, to hear their report. Now, if I could only find my page, it'd be helpful to me. Verse 27, when Paul and Barnabas arrived back in Antioch, the original Antioch, the first Antioch, the Antioch in Syria, when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They told them everything that God had used them to do. And then we have the nugget, the synopsis, the thumbnail sketch of what the speech was all about. They said, God opened a door for non-Jewish people to believe. Okay, that's the payoff. One year, they've been on the road. Now, in that year, the first place they went was to Jewish people. They kept going to the synagogue. They kept going to the people in the covenantal community and proclaiming the gospel. They kept preaching, as we might say, the gospel to the church. The church is always a mixed community. The visible church is always made up of people who've been redeemed and those who have not yet been redeemed. And so we continue to proclaim the gospel into the church. But we also proclaim the gospel outside of the church. Two functions of the work of the church. God opened a door for the non-Jewish people to believe. Now, God's people are always a covenant people. God establishes a covenant between himself and his people. It is God who affects the covenant. It's God who chooses Abraham and the descendants of Abraham and says, I'm going to have a relationship with you. If you were raised in a Christian family, give thanks to God. Because he puts you under Christian influence before you had the ability to choose. And you are raising your children in that covenant community. Parents, you are exposing your children to the truth of the gospel before they've chosen the gospel themselves. And that's your duty. You're going to give them the gospel. 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 And at some point, they'll choose it as their own and they're going to respond in faith. And they're going to say, yes, I am a Christian. And I believe this. All right. That's what we do inside of the covenant community. And so that message is constantly going into the covenant community because we're raising that next generation. And frankly, we're also calling in some of the old people who've been hanging around who maybe haven't gotten converted. One of my favorite baptisms I did here was of an 86-year-old woman. Took her a while, okay? But she finally got baptized. So good for her. You can get baptized young, you can get baptized old. All that's important is that you eventually join into the family of God. And so Paul gathers the church together there uh, um, um, in Antioch, this church that has sent him out, and he gives this report. He gathers them together and he tells them this important news that, you know what, this message isn't only for the covenant community. It's also going to be for the people who are outside of that covenant community. There's something larger going on here. We continue to proclaim the gospel to our children, but we also uh, call the children of pagans as well. A church, a healthy church, is going to have a mix of people who were born into the covenant and people for whom this is like totally new. All right, We need to be the kind of place where 
It's easy for a pagan to walk in here and discover the truth of Jesus Christ, okay? My challenge and uh, my encouragement to you as Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church is that you keep your eye on both of those goals. One is proclaiming the gospel faithfully here to our own, taking care of our own. Okay, and keep giving them that message, but also that we be do we continue to take that message outside of this church into the larger world. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. Would you please?